Welcome to Rewitched, a charmed 1998 rewatch podcast. Join us on our journey as we recap, examine, and critique the series episode by episode from the beginning. We'll be keeping our podcast spoiler free, so we welcome fans, new and old, to join us in watching and reflecting on one of our favorite shows. Currently, we're on season one. I'm your host, Jess Savanko. And I'm your host, Mia Savanko. Now let's get into this week's episode. This week, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 16, Which Prue Is It Anyway? It originally aired on March 3rd, 1999, and had 5.87 million viewers. Okay, so it starts out in Pop's gym, and we see two men boxing, and then all of a sudden this creepy guy starts walking around the corner and is watching them, and one guy starts attacking the other more aggressively and eventually the trainer comes in and breaks them apart and then the creepy guy that's in the corner watching them uh smiles and leaves and then we move to the locker room where luther stubbs which is the guy who was boxing in the ring is packing up his gym bags and then the creepy guy approaches him and says that he's a big fan and saw him three years ago in St. Louis and it's like talks about how he killed somebody in the ring and then Luther's like yeah well you know everybody gotta go sometime <laughs> like Jesus Christ line of the episode literally <laughs> and then the creepy guy's like well I want to know what it felt like to take another life with your own hands and you can see Luther getting kind of pissed off and giving him attitude and then he tells him to move and then that's when the creepy guy is like, I'm not leaving till I get what I came for. And Luther's like, well, my, what might that be? And the creepy guy is like, your killer instinct. And he pulls out this sword and just stabs Luther in the stomach, chest area with it. And then Luther dies. And while he's dead on the floor, he holds the sword over his chest and it sucks this white light out of Luther and then the guy kisses the sword and he leaves yeah so um hot opening (laughs) yeah I know what a scene I do have one thing to say about this scene one thing that stood out to me and this is the issue and when you have in a show when the majority of your characters are white characters why are we making the guy with a killer instinct a black man yeah, that's true. I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind, but I I guess you're right. At least we have Daryl in the show being the good cop. Mostly. Yeah, because it's like one of those things where we do get like, we get black guest stars, but we don't get a lot of black main characters. So when we see, like, we really only have Daryl. And, like, even going into spoiler territory a little bit, I think he's the only main cast member we ever have who's a person of color. Right? Yeah, now that you say it, I, I'm trying to think of somebody else, and I I can't. I think you're right. Like, I think there's only one other character, I won't say who it is because we don't meet them till season three, who's, like, a multi-episode character who is also Black. 
I think I, I think I know who you're talking about because there's only one person I can think of. But yeah. even him, he's not like a main character. No, he's still like a side character. Yeah. More so like it a... is one of those things where like when you don't have diverse casting, it's noticeable when you have a person of color in the episode. And when you make them, you know, the bad guy, it's a little questionable. That's true. But you also have to think about it how in every other episode, it's not like they're consistently doing this, you know? I mean, they most of the characters in the show that are evil are white people, you know? That's true. That is true. Though so most of the characters in the show in general are white people, so therefore most of the villains are white people. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's it's kind of hit or miss, but I feel like that was also how a lot of shows were at this time not that it makes it okay but you know just saying it's definitely fit more into the time frame but uh, you know at least I can respect that they do have Daryl so it's not like they're solely portraying these characters as you know these people of color as bad guys and even the character in the future that I'm thinking of that I assume is the same person he's not a bad guy in the show either that's true that is true yeah yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not I'm not going to read too much into it at this point, although I do also agree that they should have more characters people of color in the show than they do. Yeah. Yeah, and like beyond saying that, you know, it felt a little stereotyped to me kind of like the angry black man who can't control his anger. Um yeah. that's kind of my only comment on that fact. Um other than that, you know, this scene was mostly set up for meeting the creepy guy who will be one of our villains of the episode. Yes, exactly. So then from there, we go to the manor and it's nighttime and Piper and Prue are walking in the door. Piper is talking about how she has to do yearly inventory at Quake. And Prue points out that Graham's statue, which is like this hideous like marble statue is still in the living room. She says, I thought we agreed that she's an eyesore and she's going back to storage. And Piper's kind of like, well, storage downtown is $90. Storage here is free. And so she and Phoebe kind of voted and decided that the statue can stay and majority rules. But Prue thinks that she's ugly and is a little pissed. And Prue tries to move the statue with her power, but she's not strong enough because of how heavy it is. And that's when Piper says that it's solid marble and it took eight of Phoebe's bouncer friends to move it. And then Prue says, you know, that her powers will grow. And Piper's like, well, when that happens, you can move it into the basement. And that's when they hear Phoebe yell like, yeah, from the other room. You know, me and my sound effects. I'm not good at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we follow into the next room where Phoebe's boxing this thing. And it kind of looks like a Rock'em Socket robot in like blue but it has like all these little like parts on it that glow and stuff. And they start making fun of her. And Phoebe says that she got tired of being the one with a passive power and started taking self-defense classes. She got the robot thing off of an infomercial. And Prue's kind of like, great, another eyesore. <laughs> and so Phoebe starts playfully asking both of them to fight her. And that's when Prue uses her power to move the robot. So it like hits Phoebe in the shoulder and Phoebe's like, that's unfair. And Prue's like, demons don't play fair. And then so she runs over and she like grabs Prue and they're all playing around and like 
hitting at each other and stuff. And that's when Phoebe like touches Prue's shoulder and gets a premonition of the creepy guy who we saw in the first scene stabbing Prue. Piper and Prue ask Phoebe what she saw. And she turns to Prue and is like, I saw you die. And then they all look at each other. And that's the end of the scene. Ooh, things are getting crazy. Prue's gonna die. I know, like, this scene went from, like, so fun to so, like, dramatic so quick. <laughs> I know. She's out of nowhere. Is this the first time we see a premonition of one of the other, like, one of the siblings getting hurt or something like that? I think it is. I don't think we've ever seen, like, a sibling, like, death or near-death experience in a vision before. Yeah, I think this is the first vision of that that we've ever seen in season one yeah so I think that's cool that they have that and the way they react to it just kind of makes me think that even more that it is the first time that this has happened because they all kind of take it very seriously yeah exactly not that it would be any less serious in any other situation but more like it's out of the question that it would even happen kind of serious you know what I mean yeah Mm -hmm. oh wait no because they had the Rex and Hannah vision right when uh the panther attacks oh yeah so there was one before but i think that was more like they were in the middle of a fight anyway at that point so it was a little less than a random who they didn't know who it was already yeah they had zero information at this point Mm -hmm. but i guess you're right well anyways after that the theme plays and then we move back into the manor and it's the next day Uh, And we see Phoebe in the kitchen yawning like she hasn't gotten any sleep. And the book is open in front of her as she's drawing out, you know, images of the sword over and over again that she saw in her vision. And then Piper enters the kitchen and is like saying how they need more coffee. And both of them start talking about how neither of them were able to sleep after the vision that Phoebe had. And then Phoebe says that she can't find the sword anywhere in the book yet. And Prue walks in and goes for the coffee, too. She seems very nonchalant. And Phoebe's like, whoa, whoa, why are you all dressed up? And Prue's like, because they don't have casual day at Buckland's. And then Piper reminds her that she promised she would stay home, like, until they figure out what happened. Then Prue says, well, Claire called, and there's a major client that she needs to see, and she's worked so hard to get Claire to trust her with something like this. And Piper says, I can't believe you would risk your life to impress your boss. You cannot leave the house. And Prue points out that they've changed Phoebe's premonitions before and that the client she's meeting is a woman. And Phoebe saw a man attacking her in the vision. So, and that Claire will be there too. So it's not really any concern. And Prue promises that she'll come straight home from Buckland's. The one thing I'll say is, I think one thing I'm noticing in Prue's character is when it comes to protecting her sisters, like, because even in the Wendigo, she was like to Piper, well, you can't, like, go out, like, you can't go after this thing on your own, whereas Prue, when it comes to herself, is like, well, I'll make the decisions I need to make. I'm the leader, and I want to go to work. (laughs) Exactly. A lot less concerned when it comes to her, as opposed to her sisters, Mm -hmm. which I think part of it is a little bit, like, oh, well fuck you you know like what do you think you're in charge or something and I think that's how the sisters kind of feel about it too but at the same time I think another part of it is like well I just care about you guys more than I care about myself you know yeah 
Um, it's one of those things. And I mean, it even goes back to conversations, you know, you and I have off the air where it's like when you're the one in like kind of a dangerous or a bad or an unhealthy situation, people around you are going to see that more clearly and try to shield you from it than like you're going to do yourself because you're always going to be like, well, I can handle it. I know what I'm doing. I'm the person who knows the most about my life. So sometimes you see people like trying to protect you, whether that's in like a physical sense as it is here or like an emotional sense as kind of like invading your kind of autonomy and independence. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not just a proof thing. I mean, these are real world things and it kind of just portrays how everyone feels in general because even Piper was doing that like in the Wendigo episode. She wanted to go after the Wendigo and figure it out and help out Billy uh, and didn't seem that concerned for herself as, you know, as much as her sisters were for her. So I see what you're saying for sure. Yeah. So then we go to Buckland's and Prue and Claire are kind of walking down the hall together. And Prue's reiterating what Claire already told her that this woman's family has more money than God. And if we land this account, it could put Buckland's in the black for years. So it's really important that Prue impresses this client. So they go into Claire's office together. Claire introduces Prue and Helena Statler. She says a lot of really nice things about Prue, how she's kind of like, you know, the best and brightest young um, collector. And, you know, Helena says that their collection may be the finest she'd ever see. She's very like confident and like worldly and like sophisticated. And Prue asks her what kind of collection it is. And Helena's like, the kind that occupies three buildings in the warehouse flats. We have art and artifacts from every period of human history. And then she like names some examples and says that, you know, of course she would want someone to come and do a sample appraisal. And Claire says that Prue can go today. And Prue's kind of like, oh, like to the warehouse flats. And they're like, oh, is that a problem? And Prue's like, "Uh, no, not at all. I don't have too much to say about that, except that, you know, it's kind of just plot. We don't really know what's happening there or how it connects into the rest of the episode. I just have one question. Does Helena seem like a villain to you in this scene or does she, are you not sure? I think in this scene and even the next one, I I wouldn't be completely sure. Mm -hmm. Like, I think she's very subtle about it. Like, were you able to tell? No, not until we got to the warehouse. In this scene, I was kind of like, oh, okay, she's a client, whatever. Like, there might be some connection between the warehouse and what's going to happen, but I wasn't 100% sure that, like, I mean, I was because I've seen the episode, but, like, the vibe I was picking up didn't completely lead me in that direction. Like, I could see the hints, but it wasn't, like, super clear. Yeah, I agree. I feel like usually when there's a villain and we're supposed to see it right away they kind of make it more obvious but here I feel like she was acting just like a normal person you know obviously confident and with money but it, it seemed genuine you know mm-hmm. and I think the other part of it is that like we, like we said we already saw the villain and it was a man so you know they were obviously trying to intentionally throw us off with the woman but also like I wasn't sure there was a connection between the two Um, If I were a first-time viewer, I don't think I would be, I should say. Yeah, I think that definitely would have caught me off guard. So after that, we move to Quake, and 
Piper is doing inventory of potato ricers. <laughs> and Phoebe walks in and she says, I just called Buckland. And they said that Prue left the office for a meeting. And Piper is annoyed and obviously very concerned. And Phoebe's like, well, it gets worse. Phoebe said she found the sword and says the symbol of the Lords of War, a clan of supernatural warriors that have been around since time began. Their goal is to start wars, and as long as they have the sword, they're immune to the weapons of man. And she says that they do, but they do have a code of honor, and when one is disgraced, he has to steal his abilities back. And Piper's like, well, what the hell does this have to do with Prue? And Phoebe says that one of the things he has to steal is the powers of a firstborn witch. They're supposed to be the strongest. And then another worker approaches Piper, and she's like, okay, not now, not now. And Piper says that she'll call the night manager to see if he can cover for her and tells Phoebe to call Prue's cell so that they can try to find her and warn her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, this is mostly, like, plot, a little exposition to give us that background on who the you know, the creepy guy is this Lord of War. Right. So then we go to the warehouse flats and Prue pulls up to the door. Um, the door is marked door number four and she goes inside and she's calling, she's like Miss Statler. Then the lights turn on and she approaches her. Prue's phone starts ringing, but she kind of turns it off to not be like rude to Helena. She starts asking about the collection and like what Prue thinks of it. And Prue says, I think you have exquisite taste. So they start looking at some of the items and Prue is kind of listing off this information again about them. We've seen Prue do this before with other like artifacts and things. She's very knowledgeable. Then she kind of like puts her hand in one of those like medieval things that becomes like handcuffs. And Helena like locks her in it. And that's when we see the creepy guy approach and Helena says that it's her brother, Gabriel. And he's kind of like, oh, I'd shake your hand, but it's clearly otherwise engaged. And Prue's like, what are you doing? And Helena's like killing a witch. And then Gabriel says that, you know, her ancestor's power came from her hands. So he's sure that hers does too, that he did research on her ancestor, whose name was Brianna. And... Prue squints her eyes and unlocks the cuffs and then throws Helena across the room. She grabs an axe and like hits Gabriel in the chest, but he, it doesn't really affect him and he pulls out the sword. So she starts running. He throws it and it goes into like this wall thing next to her. And then he kind of like magically summons it back to him just as she runs out the door. She gets into her car and drives away. And then both Helena and Gabriel come outside together and they're like, well, she channels her power through her hands. Like we know that, I mean, through her eyes, not her hands. So we know that for next time. And Helena's like, well, she knows about us now. We have to move fast, attack her at home. And Gabriel says, no, home is where she has the power three to protect her. We'll think of another way. And that's the end of that scene. Forgot to mention how he weirdly grabs Helena, who is her sis- his sister's face, like, <laughs> in a very flirtatious way. Why does why is this a common thing that we keep seeing? Yeah. And, like, this time we know for a fact they're siblings. Like, at least last time, like, they were just, like, undercover as siblings. Yeah. And, like, I mean, with the Charmed Ones, at least they're, like, I don't know. 
maybe it's like sexist to say this, but it's not as weird when like women are as affectionate with each other than like if two men are or if like a man and a woman are. Yeah, it definitely comes across differently, especially when you know that they're supposed to be like, I don't know. It's maybe it's just they try to portray evil characters this way because I feel like this isn't the first time we've seen that weirdness coming from the villain and I guess it must just be some sort of like evil lust thing that they're trying to yeah but then it's weird because like later in the episode they're like oh like he's protective of his sister but then like we'll continue to see like these moments where they're like a little too close and I'm like hmm like that's not how I would act with Josh (laughs) I know you would not, Josh would not be getting that type of, although I did uh, just yesterday pretend to be on a date with Josh to make this girl jealous. <laughs> He's like, will you come with me so that I can post a picture on my story and make this girl jealous? But that's besides the point. <laughs> Other so than funny. that, I would never. But were you guys like weirdly touching each other's face? No, no we were just, it was just showing that there was a girl in the frame, you know? Yeah, I get you, I get you. So I guess it's not quite the same. No, but, I mean, I would never <laughs> um, act like that. But anyways, that's besides the point. And, oh crap, I feel like there was something else I wanted to say, but I can't really remember. Oh yeah, I wanted to talk about when he threw the sword at her and she was like running to the door, the way they showed it and she was like slowly running and looking back and the sword was just like slow motion heading towards her and then like all of a sudden it appears next to her like shoots and I don't know it just like it didn't work right to me like I thought it was so fake looking and it kind of cracked me up a little (laughs) I feel like I wasn't paying close enough attention to like see the details but like I I now that I'm like kind of recollecting it a little bit yeah no it probably was a little cheesy, a little campy. I'll have to go look at it again. It was definitely a very, like, okay, well, that was the fakest <laughs> thing I've seen. So another thing I wanted to add, I think that, you know, kind of the establishing of Gabriel's arrival in this scene really worked for me. I like the way that we're kind of getting this vibe that Helena might be creepy, and then we're like, yes, yeah, she is. It's her. She's the villain. So that really worked for me. I also really liked, I thought the dialogue in this scene was pretty quick, working well. And I liked this idea of their ancestor, you know, learning more of that family history, which, you know, not to spoil things, but will continue to happen throughout the show. So I liked seeing this little peek into the family history. I mean, we've already got Melinda. We know some things about Grams. We'll learn more about Brianna in this episode, and I'm interested in seeing more and more of their family members um, become part of the story. Yeah, the way they included their ancestor Brianna and her power, which is the same as Prue's, you know, telekinesis, I thought that was pretty cool, too, because I think we, we did already find that out in the episode with Melinda Warren, right, about how all their powers stemmed from the three that she had. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, so it it's cool that they kind of brought that back and had another ancestor having those same powers and kind of sticking to that story that they, you know, brought up with Melinda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after that, we go back to the manor, and Prue and Piper are sitting in the living room, and Piper is kind of yelling at her for turning off her phone because, 
you know, that tells Prue that he's immune to the weapons of man as Prue is, you know, telling her the story of what happened at the warehouse. And then Phoebe walks down the stairs holding the book and she tells them that she found Brianna in the book and says that she was their great, great, great aunt and that she disgraced Gabriel during the Crimean War. And then Prue says, great, so some guy couldn't keep it in his sheath and now I'm marked for death. And Piper says, well, some guys can be very sensitive about their weapons. And they all kind of give Piper a weird look. Um, And then (laughs) Phoebe says that lords of war aren't supposed to be separated from their weapons, but Brianna was able to send the sword hundreds of miles away. Prue says that she isn't powerful enough to do that, though. And Phoebe's like, well, I thought of that, so I found a spell to multiply your strength. And Piper is wondering if there's maybe a power of three solution as opposed to Prue doing that herself. And Prue says that the book doesn't have one and that she doesn't want to risk Gabriel trying to hurt one of them to get to her. And then they do a vote between the sisters of, you know, who thinks it's a good idea and majority ruled for Prue doing the incantation. Then Prue walks upstairs with the book obviously going to do the incantation and Piper and Phoebe are kind of arguing because Piper thinks that they should solve their problems together while Phoebe doesn't really see any problem with Prue doing the incantation on her own. And then Phoebe's like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then all of a sudden they hear this thunder roar and Piper's like, I told you. And they go running upstairs and see Prue in the attic on the floor and these magical glows are going on around her. And then all of a sudden, two more of her appears. So there's three proofs. Yeah. So, um, you know, the little dick joke. Funny. It was, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, (laughs) the background on their ancestor, Brianna. I actually don't know much about the Crimean War. I'm going to take one sec to just kind of like look it up. Yeah, I don't really know anything about that either. Okay, so the Crimean War was a military conflict in which Russia was defeated by the Ottoman Empire, the UK, Piedmont, Sardinia, and France. This was in the 1850s, and it was a war that involved the rights of Christian minorities in Palestine, with the French promoting the rights of the Roman Catholics and Russia promoting those of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So it was a religious conflict in the 1850s, basically. Good to know. I, I had no clue. I've never even heard of <laughs> I had heard of it, but I, like way back in like ninth grade, like world history, but I couldn't remember what it was. But yeah, so that's that little background we get. So we know that this was an ancestor from the 1850s. It's interesting because it seems like their family has been in the U.S. for a long time that they were, because like as we saw, like Melinda Warren was in Salem. So it's interesting that someone in their family was involved in a conflict in Europe, but I guess that's beside the point. (laughs) I didn't think about that. Um, You know, unless, no, because it would have to be someone descended from Melinda Warren, because I was going to say, unless she's from another part of their family, that that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, that wouldn't work, which was, that was what I was going to bring up before, like, well, if it's their great-great-aunt, then how is it that she had the powers, too? But I realized that people can have siblings. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't really make sense. Uh, 
so forget I said anything. <laughs> Other than, you know, those little details, we see again the majority thing with the voting and between the sisters happening, which was something that came up earlier in the episode. And then, of course, this is where the three crews are conjured up, and we're about to see what happens with that. Right. I feel like this is a very monster of the week episode although there is something that happens with a certain main character that definitely is a big focus to me are you talking about the final scene of course (laughs) (laughs) well we'll get get there (laughs) so then the next morning we're still at the manor and we find out from piper and phoebe that the prus are hogging all the bathrooms piper's kind of like well phoebe do you know which one is the real prue And that's when one of the Prue's comes out of the bathroom and tells them, well, technically we're all the real Prue. We have her memories up until she casts the spell. And also that, you know, it's not her fault that the spell was cast and it's also not her fault that there's no more hot water. And Piper says, this is like the parent trap with a bee cup. And Phoebe thinks she has a solution and is kind of like to get rid of their Disney problems. Now I'll just comment on with a bee cup um, I'm a bee cup, and Shannon Darty has a lot more going on than I do in the chest region. So, yeah, Rue is definitely not a bee cup, like, she's a solid C or D. <laughs> and I looked it up, a man wrote this episode, and we know that men know nothing about bra sizes, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, definitely <laughs> makes sense. But I was like, uh, no, would have would have been good if it made sense, but. Doesn't work with Prue. Prue's definitely like, not. Like, literally, all you had to say was with a D cup, and I would have bought it. I would have been like, yeah, sure. Yeah. 100%. But I guess it also matters around, like, the 32, 34, 36. But well, like, men don't even know what that is, so. True. True. <laughs> like, you could say a bra size, and they'll just be like, uh, big or small. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> they didn't get it. It's all right. Not his fault. He tried. He tried. He tried. He tried to be funny, but was commenting on a woman's body, which I don't like. (laughs) Yeah. Tried to throw in, sneak in a little woman's joke. (laughs) Like, the dick joke, funny. The boob joke might have been funny if it was accurate, but it wasn't, so. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, then we're downstairs, and the prus are all standing there. They're in these little black dresses, and they're, like, complimenting each other. And then Phoebe and Piper come down the stairs, and Phoebe has three sweaters in her hand and asks which one is the real Prue. All of them raise their hands, and then Piper's kind of like, stop it. Like, she's annoyed. And that's when only the one all the way to the left leaves her hand up. So Phoebe gives her the black sweater and then gives the other two the blue and the pink sweaters. Pink Prue says that the spell is temporary and they'll only be there as long as they're needed. And we start to get this sense that Pink Prue is kind of, like, smart and organized. Like, even her hair is, like, very perfect. The bangs are tucked back. Like, it's very straight. And she seems to have an answer for everything. Then we see Blue Prue, who is a little bit more of the fun and messy Prue. Her hair is, like, kind of all over the place. She has on, like, eyeliner. And she's a little bit, like, moodier. But she's still, like, very smart because Prue is always smart. Then we have the real Prue, who looks like how Prue normally looks with, like, the bangs, but her hair's still pretty neat and tidy. 
And she said that she called their assistant to find out more about Gabriel so that they can go after him. Piper asks if she's sure they have enough power to go after him, and that's when the Prues all hold hands and they lift up Graham's statue. And that's when both the doorbell and the phone starts to ring. So Pink Prue goes to the door and Blue Prue goes to answer the phone. It's Andy at the door and he asks if he can come in. But of course, you know, there are a bunch of Prues, so Prue is like, it's not a good time. But she compliments his tie. And she's like, oh, so what did I do now? And he's like, I don't know. You tell me. They are flirting. They are <laughs> flirting, if anyone didn't pick up on it. Um, <laughs> and he tells her that, you know, it's a social call. And he brings up that they ordered tickets to the Bay Area Music Awards a few months ago. And he gives them to her. He's like, you could take anyone you want. Even an old boyfriend who's just a friend now, but who loves good music. And, you know, she's kind of like, oh, I'll take it into consideration. And they're, like, all smiley together. Am I back on this ship? The answer is maybe. <laughs> maybe. I think I, uh, I think I'm not mad at Andy. I think I'm, I'm kind of feeling it here. I think I've forgiven him. This is, this is too cute of a scene not to. It is. It is very cute. I like that he gives her the tickets and then, like, gives her the option to invite him or not. I think that's very yeah. sweet. So then, you know, she closes the door and comes back inside and is like, why did we break up with him? And then the real Prue is like, he broke up with us first, remember? And she's like, oh, yeah, right. And then the blue Prue hangs up the phone and walks over to them and said that, you know, one of them needs to get to the office or they're going to be looking for a new job. And then they decide that two of them will go to the office and one will go to Quake with Piper. Because even if it would take three of them to, like, kill Gabriel, two of them might be able to fight him off. And, you know, since Piper has an active power, one of them should stay with her. Piper says that, no, all five of them need to stay together, and Phoebe agrees. Because the book says it takes the strength of three to fight Gabriel. But they vote, and, you know, there are three Prues, so they obviously win the majority there, and they go along with that plan. Yeah, I thought that was a cute way of throwing in the, the voting thing. Yeah, I thought so too. And other than that, I feel like it's a lot of chaos in this scene because, you know, there's three proofs. They're just trying to figure out who's who and who's going to do what and what the plan is. And one of them goes to figure things out with Claire while the other one talks to Andy. It's just a lot of like just showing the chaos of having three proofs. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's setting up a lot of the things that we'll see, and I'll probably have more to say when they come back up in later scenes. Yeah, like the uh, tickets and everything. Yeah, like the tickets and kind of the different ways that the Prues act and things like that. Yeah. All right, so after that, we go to Buckland, and the real Prue and Pink Prue are walking down the hall while the real Prue is covering her face with a magazine. And the pink Prue goes up and talks to their assistant and asks her for the information on the Roman vessel and sees Gabriel Statler's address on it. And then the pink Prue tells the assistant that she needs copies of sales records for the quarter, uh, everyone's sales records. And the assistant's like, well, that could take days. And she's like, well, you better get started. And then the real Prue comes up after the assistant leaves and tells her she didn't even thank her and she was very bossy about it. And Pink Prue's like, well, that's why we're called bosses. Then the real Prue says that she'll go talk to Claire. And Pink Prue was like, well, why do you get to talk to Claire? And as that happens, 
Claire walks in, Pink Fru pushes Fru behind the door, uh, and opens and starts talking to Claire before Fru gets the chance. So Claire says, I want an explanation for yesterday. Helena Statler called to say that she was so offended by your behavior, she's taking her collection to Christie's. What happened? And Pink Fru says, I've already made arrangements to make a personal apology and put back Buckland's back in the running. As a matter of fact, I convinced Miss Statler to meet me at her estate. Pink Fru says that she'd stake her job on getting the account back. And Claire says, well, that's good because you just did. Uh, and Claire says, okay, like, I'm going to go too. And that she doesn't want to leave Prue alone with that client again. And she closes the door. Then the real Prue says that she'll be the one to take Claire and she'll take her to the wrong address and pretend they've been stood up or something. While Pink Prue goes to get Blue Prue and take her to the manor. So then Real Prue calls Phoebe to check in, and Pink Prue says, we do that a lot, don't we? Check in with our sisters, make sure that they okay, they're okay. Don't you think that if there was a problem, they would call us and let us know? And then that's when Real Prue starts getting annoyed, and she's like, Phoebe, I'll call you back. I have to go yell at myself. And then Claire starts coming back and sees Real Prue and is like, oh, did you change your sweater? And she's like, yep, we got to go. And Prue pulls her out of the door so that she doesn't see pink Prue. A lot of Prue's. <laughs> yeah. So some of my general thoughts on this scene. So, you know, there's a lot of physical comedy to this scene, kind of the pushing and pulling of each other, the use of the magazine to hide her face, the way she's like dragging Claire. And it really works. So I really liked that aspect of this scene. I like the way that, you know, their plan is kind of getting shaken up and we're seeing that like at once you start separating the Prus, things are going to start to go wrong. Um, and so I'm interested to see where that'll take us as we move through the episode. Yeah, you pretty much said it all. That's, I completely agree. Cool. So then we have a scene that kind of cuts back and forth on the phone between Quake and Buckland's. So Piper is walking with a clipboard when the phone starts ringing. And she answers and, you know, it's Prue. She says, Piper, it's me. Piper's like, what color? And, uh, you know, she's like, the pink one. And Piper rolls her eyes. <laughs> she tells her that real Prue told her that blue Prue needs to get to the manor where they're going to meet the real Prue in a little bit. Piper's worried about what happens after they separate him from the sword and Pink Prue, you know, is very confident that they can destroy the sword and that Gabriel would be crazy to take the three of them on. She's like, we have the plan and we have the power. And Piper says, I just don't want to lose you, any of you. And Pink Prue promises her that she won't and then hangs up and starts heading out of the office. Piper goes into the kitchen at Quake and we see Blue Prue has like her sweater hanging off her shoulder and she's like eating spaghetti in a way that I think is supposed to be sexy. <laughs> and the chefs are standing like very close to her so obviously they're into it and piper says the pink one just called and wants you to meet her then piper's kind of like what are you doing and prue just keeps flirting with the chefs and piper tells them to get to work and she's like what has gotten into you or who has gotten into you because you're nothing like the real prue and that's when blue prue says actually i'm exactly like the real prue just the side that doesn't get to come out and play. I'm the flip side of the corporate conservative clone. And Piper tells her to get out of the kitchen and stop distracting her chefs, and she leaves. 
it's cool to see the different sides of Prue and who she really is on the inside. I like that they show that she does have that more looser side to her, you know? Yeah, and I'm really interested to see if, you know, in developing episodes, if we'll see more of that side come out of Prue. Um, I think we've seen a lot of her as a leader, as, you know, this very, like, strong woman professionally. And so seeing this more, like, fun, playful side of her, that actually reminds me of the way that they paint Phoebe a lot. It's interesting. And maybe that's where some of the conflict between them comes from, is the fact that You know, Phoebe, as the youngest sibling, has more of the chance to let that side of herself out, where Prue has had to take on adult responsibilities at a younger age because she is the firstborn and they lost their mom so early. And so that more, like, rebellious, like, fun-loving side of her doesn't get to come out as much. And so maybe that's where a lot of their conflict actually stems from, is the fact that they are very similar, but one of them is more able to express it than the other. Yeah, I definitely, I was thinking the same thing, and I wonder if anything like that is going to come back up in the future, or if maybe they'll they'll kind of show that and explain that conflict between them, you know, and we get to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, no, I really, I like kind of seeing the different sides of Prue and how they break them up, but that they all have elements of her, because I yeah. notice even with like the blue Prue, who's kind of like this very different Prue, like Piper doesn't even recognize her. I, I recognize her. Um, I still see that she's very smart. She's very self-sufficient. She's very, yeah. like, driven. All the things that we've seen in the real Prue. Exactly. You can definitely still see the real Prue in her. And I like that they just kind of show different sides of her personality showing through more so than she can normally when it's just regular Prue. Yep. So after this, we move on to the parking garage at Buckland's, and Pink Prue exits the elevator and almost gets spotted by the real Prue and Claire driving away. And once they drive away, she walks towards her car, and a smoke bomb comes in out of nowhere down the stairs, blinding Pink Prue. She falls back onto the car, and then Gabriel approaches her with a sword and says, blinded by the light. She tries to then move him, but her power is weakened by the light that, you know, the flash bomb he did. Uh, And she cuts his face. And then he stabs her with the sword, and we move and see in Claire's car, the real Prue kind of falls falls in pain where she was, where Pink Prue was stabbed. And she starts yelling, and Claire's like, oh my god, are you okay? And then back in the garage, Pink Prue is on the floor and dies. And Gabriel starts standing over her with the sword and sees that nothing is happening, like he's not getting that white light that happened with the rest or the boxer. And Helena approaches and asks where her soul is and her magic. And Gabriel, all upset, says, I've been tricked. She has none. Whoever this is, it's not the real witch. And he pulls the sword out of her. And then back in Claire's car, Prue is crying in tears, and Claire asks if she's okay. And Prue's like, no, I'm not. So we see that when the clone dies, obviously it hurts Prue. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think the idea of a physical link between them is really interesting. Yeah, I I think the same thing. And I kind of like the way that, I think it was pretty clever the way they had Gabriel do that flash bomb so that she wasn't able to use her eyes for her power. You know, like, he still managed Mm -hmm. to find a way around that, which I think was 
like I wouldn't have expected that you know yeah and I think it proves to us something that you know Phoebe will actually point out later in the episode which is that you know he's very calculated he's smart he makes plans he doesn't just attack willy-nilly that's why you know their original plan was to trap her hands but then they learn that her power actually comes from her eyes so they rethink it and it just shows that he's really smart and like a capable villain but of course the charm clones are more capable as we'll see of course it's the charm clones come on now (laughs) so then we go to a short scene where we're at the coroner's office and andy's walking in with the coroner and you know he said the case officer said that you might be able to id the body even though there was nothing on And at first, Andy's not really thinking anything of it. As you know, the coroner's saying that she was killed with a bladed weapon. He hands Andy a bag, and as he pulls out the body, we see that it's Prue, but Andy is looking at the personal effects and not looking at her yet. And so he sees that the tickets that he'd given her that morning are there. And then he looks over, and you just see, like, before he even looks over, his face drops. And then he looks and sees it's Prue, and you could just see, like, the heartbreak on his face. And I just, I've said it about him before, but, like, like I was saying about Alyssa Milano in the last episode, like, T.W. King's, like, facial expressions are so strong. And I just, like, he didn't have to say anything. Like, I knew everything that Andy was feeling just by the way he looked at Prue. I know, it almost broke your heart watching it, like, just seeing his face like you felt it for him you could he did a really good job at showing like the instant pain and sadness of you know him realizing that it was Prue that was dead yeah and like I think that just goes to show us that like he knows that like Prue's his person like with everything that's gone on between them like he loves her so much and you could just see it in his face there yeah, that's really sweet, and it definitely makes definitely makes me wish, hope that I'll find something like that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, he did a really good job at showing that, and it's it's nice to see because I think at this point we've forgiven Andy, and like we've mentioned a couple times, you can see in a lot of their expressions that despite the issues they have and the difficulties and all of that, that they really do have something genuine there. And that despite, you know, whether or not they're friends or together or whatever it is, like they will never stop caring for each other. And you can see that through everything. He still loves Prue. Yeah. Anyways, so after that, we're back at the manor, and Phoebe is fighting that robot thing that we had seen earlier in the episode, and then the doorbell rings, and she takes off her gloves and goes to answer the door, and she sees Andy there, and he's wiping his eyes with a tissue and puts it away in his pocket. Then Phoebe lets him in, and he's like, sorry, and Phoebe's like, what'd you do? And Andy's like, Phoebe, it's serious, and tells her that pretty just bluntly that Prue's dead. (laughs) And Phoebe asks, like, Phoebe, they're both pretty upset, but then Phoebe thinks about it, and she's like, wait, what color was she wearing? And Andy's really confused, and is like, did you even hear what I just said? And he, she's like, well, it's important, I need to know what color sweater was she wearing? And Andy says, I think the report said pink. And Phoebe seems relieved, and she's like, oh, thank God. And Andy's like, I just told you I saw your sister dead, and you're relieved. 
And Phoebe says, well, Andy, it's no secret that we fought at times. <laughs> Worst <laughs> lie ever. I know. Like, what the hell? And as that's happening, Piper and Blue Prue walk in from the back, and Piper says hi to him. And he obviously is just in shock, like, really confused. And then the real Prue starts to walk in the front door, and Piper freezes Andy right as he's turning around to see who's at the door. And Phoebe's like, well, I think it's time for, like, somebody needs to hide right now. And then real Prue asks what Andy's doing there, and Phoebe tells her about how he saw her dead on the slab. And Prue says that she felt the clone dying, while Blue Prue is like, well, I didn't feel anything. And then they're kind of like, okay, one one thing at a time. Real Prue goes to hide as Andy unfreezes and says to Prue, Piper, and Phoebe, you know, Blue Prue, Piper, and Phoebe that, you know, like, what are you, like, what the hell, I just saw you dead. And Piper's like, well, you know what they say, everyone has a twin out there somewhere, but he's obviously not convinced. And Blue Prue says, it means the world to me that you came, but I'm here, and believe me, I didn't get killed today. You can see I'm very much alive, and I'm fine, I promise. He's like, well, I can't argue with that. And he starts to leave, and as he's walking out, very, like, suspicious, he asks her about the concert and asks if she's decided on anything, and she's like, well, what concert? And he mentions the tickets, and she's like, oh, did those tickets we ordered months ago finally come in? And he's like, yeah, they did. Maybe I'll bring them by sometime. Even though, obviously, we know that he did bring them by. They were with Pink Prue before. And he walks out the door, obviously leaving him to wonder. And as he leaves, we see Helena outside in a car, and she notices, like, watches him walk out. I just think it's so funny because I feel like, I guess we didn't say it when it was happening, but when Claire was leaving with Prue and she was like, oh, did you change your sweater? Like, she was able to notice that. And I just think it's so funny how Andy, like, wouldn't like didn't even realize that you know oh wait no because he didn't see yeah he did he saw he saw pink prue that morning yeah Mm. he saw pink prue that morning and then saw her in the blue sweater and it's like it didn't even although i guess that's not really what he was focused on but i just picked that a guy wouldn't pick up on that so much as a girl would yeah Another thing um, in this scene, I thought the use of Blue Prue being the one who comes in makes sense, right? Because she's the only one who didn't hear the conversation. Like, everyone else heard about the tickets because they were all standing there listening when Pink Prue was talking, but Blue Prue was on the phone, so she obviously was the only one that didn't know. So I just thought that was really clever. I love the line from Phoebe. It's no secret we fought at times. (laughs) I know, like, what else could you, she had no idea what to say. Oh my god, it's just like worst lie ever. I know that how do you how do you get away with something like that? Even Andy was like, what the hell kind of excuse is that? <laughs> that was hilarious for sure. I think that's the start of something. Not even the start, the push. Like it almost feels like this kind of you can see in his face the suspicion and the way he gave up like gave up and didn't wasn't like what do you mean like we talked about the tickets this morning you know like didn't press it he knew that he wasn't going to get the information like we've seen in the past Andy kind of we we got kind of subtle hints that Andy might eventually pick up on their secret Mm -hmm. and I feel like here kind of seemed like the pushover you know yeah 
This is kind of like this episode is really his final straw, as we'll see in the last yeah, scene exactly. of waiting for her to tell him. So then we are, you know, back inside the manor, and the four of them, so you know, Piper, Evie, and the two Prues, are in the living room, and Blue Prue is saying how they need to do something. She's like, Gabriel is going to find us, and there aren't enough of us left to defeat him, and she suggests that they conjure more Prues, and the real Prue is like, no, I'm not doing the spell again. And Piper and Phoebe also don't want her to, so that's kind of the majority for that one. But the Prues come up with this idea to use Helena to get to Gabriel's sword. Piper says they'll go with them, and Prue says no, she needs to protect the two of them. And the Prues kind of leave, and Piper and Phoebe are left sitting there in the room. Again, not too much about this, except, you know, they're just pushing the plot coming up with the plan on how they're going to get out of this situation mm-hmm. yeah so then we go on to the statler estate and we see helena and gabriel sitting inside they're talking and he's got a chessboard in front of him and she's like weirdly leaning on him and then helena says that she saw two prues and thinks that they should attack at the manor when everyone will be asleep and vulnerable and kind of convinces Gabriel to do this. And he like looks at her with a weird smile and then moves the chess piece and says checkmate. And then they look at each other with like this creepy, like sexual grin. Like they're way too close and everything. It just, Again, with them making me very uncomfortable. Literally that Folgers commercial where it's like brother and sister. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. (laughs) I'll have to show it to you. I hope some of the listeners know what I'm talking about. But there's this like Folgers coffee Christmas commercial where it's like a brother and sister. But like they were clearly about to bang. Like it was weird. That's how I felt about this scene. (laughs) Disgusting. It was awk AF. It was like, yeah, no. Writers of this show, siblings don't get this close to each other. It's weird. Please. Yeah, I don't know if it's like normal to them. Like maybe whoever the writers are all just were like, Yeah, no, this is how I act with my sibling. Like we do this all the time. Honestly, I'm just hoping that they're all only children and don't know how siblings act because like (laughs) Yeah. Hoping for the best. Yeah. Ew. (laughs) Then we go back to the manor. And Piper and Phoebe enter Prue's room, and they want to talk to the real Prue alone, so the blue Prue says that she'll wait in the hall, but really she's standing right by the door and listening to the entire conversation. The real Prue says that she knows they're going to try to talk her out of her plan. They tell her that they think that going to the estate is a trap. Phoebe says, you know, he's a strategist, Prue. Every move he has made has been carefully planned. He studied you. And Piper says he'll know how protective she is and that she'll risk herself to save others, especially like the two of them. And Piper and Phoebe says that she doesn't need to protect them. They can help her defend herself. Like they're all powerful. They can do this together. And Prue does agree with them. But Blue Prue, who was listening in, heard all of this and she's already walking away. And that's when the other three go into the hallway and see that she's gone. And, of course, they know that she decided to do a plan by herself to protect them all. Very sweet. Like, this is one of those things where you can see the the Prue in Blue Prue. 
you know, that, that instinct to protect everyone over herself is still there, which Mm -hmm. I like the way they do that. Yeah, but it's that kind of like overconfidence in this version of her, right? Who's kind of like less likely to think of the consequences because she's more of a doer than like a thinker. Like she's still smart, but she's more let's take action first, um, which of course is going to put her in danger in the next scene. Right, exactly. Did you have anything else to say about that one? Phoebe, again, is good at reading people. We see that when she talks about who Gabriel is and, you know, how the sisters are able to kind of get through to their side. I think they use logic and, like, strong points to kind of get her to their side. So I think that it's a really effective scene. Definitely. All right, so then we go back to the Statler estate, and Helena is in this artifact that's like a... I don't even know how to describe it. Like one of those full body. How, how do you even. It's like one of those like mummy tomb things, but like with the spikes that like spikes. if you close yeah. it, it'll kill you. Exactly. So she's in that tied up and she's obviously scared and she's calling for Gabriel and Gabriel walks in the doorway and sees her there in the artifact. And she says, she tied me up. And that's when Blue Prue walks out from behind and Gabriel pulls out his sword. And she says, this in war terms is what I believe they call a reversal in fortune. And she pushes the mummy door thing further closed with her power. And she says, I'll make it easy for you. Your sword for your sister. And he says, done there's only one problem you're not the real prue hallowell any woman smart enough to clone themselves would not make the mistake of confronting me here so tell me how many of you are there and she stays quiet just kind of looking at him and he's like so you're the last one then and then he says that if she lets helena go he'll make it quick and painless for her and for the real prue and then blue prue closes the the doors further and says like tries to make the deal with him again and then he thinks about it for a second and throws the sword right into Helena's gut and both Helena and Prue are like shocked and then he calls the sword back to him and he says well who has the reversal of fortune now and starts walking towards Blue Prue and then we see in the car the sisters are driving to Blue Prue and Prue gets the pain and she's like, oh god, he's killing her, I can feel the sword, and she's going through that whole pain again of her death, and is like, okay, she's gone, it's over. So they know that Blue Prue is now dead. So I know that, like, the idea of killing your sibling is horrible, but I actually kind of, like, admire what Gabriel does here, because it kind of proves the evil, right? Because none of the Charmed Ones would ever sacrifice their sibling for their mission, but, like, evil will. And it's like, they should have thought of that because like as much as, yeah, his first instinct was to protect her, when it came down to get what I want or save my sister's life, he's not the same as like a good moral person. So I liked that he kind of pulled the reversal on through. Yeah, I was thinking that too, that, you know, you would think that would have crossed their minds that he is evil and that evil, you know, you evil can't be trusted like that you know like they don't think the same as they do 
which I think this is part of what in the future, like maybe if they'll continue to realize that, you know? Yeah. I don't think it's come up yet in this show, but I know that, you know, in other fantasy shows I've watched, there's this idea that like evil is not capable of love. Right. So evil can have like lust, evil can have attachments, but evil can't necessarily feel love the way that we do. Um, And so I'm interested to see, you know, how the show might continue to explore that idea with other villains we'll meet. Right, me too. So then we go back to the manor, and the sisters are all sitting in the living room. It's just the three of them now, obviously, since both the clones are dead. And Piper says that they need to come up with plan B. And Phoebe kind of thinks back to how Andy was mentioning when he told her about Prue dying that there was little bits of blood at the crime scene where they found Pink Prue's body. And, you know, she realizes that maybe Gabriel can be cut by his own sword, even if, like, weapons of man can't affect him. His sword isn't a weapon of man. And Prue's like, yeah, but we can't take the sword away. And that's when Phoebe says, well, why do we have to take it away? Maybe we need to bring Gabriel and his sword even closer. And that's when Prue kind of, like, puts her arm around her and says that she's so smart. And when that happens, Phoebe has another premonition of Gabriel breaking through the windows of the manor with another smoke bomb. And she tells them that she's pretty sure that Gabriel is on his way. And obviously they're about to prepare for that to happen. Again, it's just them kind of coming up with their plan and figuring out how to get out of the situation and how to save Prue's life. Yeah, I know a lot of times in, like, earlier episodes, I've talked about, like, the exposition being unnecessary, but I actually like the way the planning scenes happen in this episode, because we're finding out the plans with the characters, as opposed to having multiple characters explain the same plan to us. Yeah, and I kind of like the way they've had a couple different ideas of what to do, and it's kind of been like a trial and error run, now Mm -hmm. that they... I feel like they're a lot, I've noticed in this episode, they're a lot more careless with their plan than they are in other episodes because they have to, it's almost like here, since they have three Prues, they have multiple chances to, you know, solve this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, you know, one way didn't work, the other way didn't work, and now this is like their final chance, but rather in other episodes where it's like, okay, well, they have one shot to either they're dead or they're not you know like there are no clones yeah I mean I guess I'll just say that you know it just kind of proves that what we'll find out later is it really is you know they say the strength of three but it's the power of three that's needed to defeat this evil yeah so now we move to the coroner's office and Andy is in there looking at Prue's body on the table and he pulls out a file with fingerprints on it that match the fingerprints of Prue Halliwell and the coroner I mean the coroner comes out and shows those fingerprints to Andy and Andy's like well that's statistically impossible even identical twins have a natural variation and the coroner says I'd get on the phone with Ripley's believe it or not because as far as forensic forensic medicine can tell that woman is Prue Halliwell and Andy looks back at her and then says, leave Ripley's out of the loop, as well as anyone who isn't me. And he's confused, but he doesn't say anything, kind of like he's got his own thoughts going on about the situation, and then he leaves. Mm-hmm. 
so here we see more more of andy figuring out like something unexplainable is going on this time you know yeah and i think the interesting thing is right we know that this is something andy wants to handle by himself because he's like to the coroner he's like don't tell anyone else like this is between you and me so whatever type of investigation he's doing isn't to expose prue to anyone but him yeah it's like he just kind of wants to figure it out for himself but it also could be because he doesn't know what it is and well I guess we're not there yet but he's even mentioned in the past that he's had his own ideas on witchcraft and things like that and I'm sure he thinks of it as a possible explanation for it but I mean how is he gonna include anybody else in that when he feels that everybody's just gonna think he's crazy you know yeah that's true that's very true so then we are at the manor and Prue is standing alone by the windows in that one room in the downstairs. And all of a sudden the lights cut out and she puts on sunglasses. And that's when a smoke bomb is thrown through the windows. She falls to the floor and Gabriel jumps through the window. She looks up and he sees, you know, that she's wearing the sunglasses. So obviously she wasn't blinded by the bomb. And he's like, oh, clever witch. And Prue gets up and runs out of the room. He follows after her. He throws the sword at the blue robot because she had put the sweater on it so that he would think it was her. And that's when all the sisters jump up from behind the couch. Piper freezes him and Phoebe runs over and kicks him into the wall. He unfreezes and falls into this table, which he breaks. Then Prue grabs the sword from the robot and runs towards him. He calls for the weapon to come back to him. And as he does that, she uses her power to turn it the other way, so it stabs him when it gets there. The sword glows yellow, and then it turns, like, white. Some lights flash, and then he, like, disintegrates into a blob and then fades away. Um, not great special effects, but whatever. The lights come back on. The doorbell rings, and Prue's like, that's his army. Kidding, kidding. And then she goes to get it. Andy is there, and she tells him that it's four in the morning what is he doing there basically and he's like well this isn't a social call you need to go with me we have to go to the morgue and she grabs her jacket and the two of them leave it's kind of cool how it all happened very quickly and as soon as he's gone like andy rings the doorbell love the way they do this like little perfect timing that they're like ah they killed him but it's not over yet it's one of those things because like i used to take script writing classes like when i was in college and stuff and where if you have things happen too quickly together, your professor will be like, um, that's not realistic. But, like, it works for the pacing. So I get why they're doing it. Like, even if it's not, it's not natural that, right? Like, the second they kill the demon, the doorbell would ring. But, like, yeah. it has to in order to keep the episode flowing. So I think that it's really smart, and I think that it's well-paced. I agree. I feel like in the midst of the drama, they, I, it would be weird if at the very end of the episode they have this weird, like, this other come up where they're like ah everything is resolved and then we think the episode's gonna end and then all of a sudden Andy randomly comes in and is like come with me you know like it wouldn't really fit with the episode so I think it worked in this in this scene the way they had it Mm -hmm. yeah so then we go to the coroner's office with Prue and Andy and they walk into the morgue and Prue's like, are you going to tell me what this is all about? Because you haven't said a word to me since we got out, since we got in the car. And he's like, I'll show you what this is all about. And he pulls out the slab. And we see that it's 
empty except for that outfit that Pink Prue was wearing. And Prue grabs the slab and she's like, I don't get it. And he is shocked when he looks over and sees that she's like, there's nobody there. And he tells her that there was a body there and it was identical down to Prue's fingerprints. And Prue's like, well, I don't know what to say. And he says, ever since you came back into my life, it's been one weird coincidence after another. And you don't know what to say. And she says, why don't you tell me what you want to hear? And then uh, she asks him to take her home. She's like, there's nothing here. Just take me home. And walks away. And he looks up and sighs and closes the slab. Poor Andy just can't seem to. He was so close. He thought he had her that time. But. Nope. <laughs> See, in this scene, I feel like his anger and his frustration is actually justified. Like, I'm not mad at him for being upset or the way he acts in this scene. Because he's not doing anything that abuses his power. He's not trying to have some authority over Prue. He's just genuinely like, why won't you just tell me? And I understand where he's coming from at this point. Me too. I think this time it's a lot more... It's a lot more understandable and justified than the other time where he abused his power like that. Mm -hmm. And, like, I also get where Prue's coming from, you know, in trying to guard her secret. But I'm just like... Part of me is like, just tell him, just tell him. Yeah. It sucks, because I'm sure even there, as as much as Prue was very much like, Andy, like, what are you talking about? There's nothing there, and trying to make him seem not crazy, but, like, you know what I mean? I think, I, I or I, we know, because we've seen in other episodes, a big part of her does wish that she could share that with Andy, but she knows that it's just, she can't, you know? Like, this is a secret of hers that she has to protect. But yeah. uh, starting to get to the idea where we can see that Andy may figure this out on his own, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we go to our next scene where we are at Quake. Phoebe is sitting at a table. She's reading the newspaper out loud about Helena's death to Piper, who's approaching with a tray, just as Prue is also walking in and she has like this gift basket in her hand. Phoebe says that all they found by Helena's body was a blue sweater. And Prue's like, that's a shame because I liked that sweater. (laughs) And then she says that the gift basket is for her assistant who really earned it. And Piper tells them that, you know, the inventory is finally finished. And Phoebe jokes about, you know, not having three Prues anymore. And how, like, you know, it'll save them water and all that. And Prue says, you know, one day... You'll hear what you sound like when you say stuff like that. And Phoebe's like, and I will find myself sassy and delightful, which is my second favorite line of the episode. Uh (laughs) And the three of them smile and pick up their drinks. And Prue says, to me, myself, and I, and to us, I couldn't have done it without you. Phoebe says, and to me, for kicking some serious demon butt. And Prue says, and to clones who vanish without a trace. And then Piper, of course, says, poor Andy, do you think he'll ever figure it out? And then Prue says, I don't know, but I wouldn't underestimate him. After what happened this morning, we're going to have to be extra careful. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. But, yeah, see, that's more, more about the hint. And I'll, I have something to say, but I'll wait till we do the last scene. Yeah, why don't you cover the last scene, and then we can talk about these two as a combination. Yeah, okay. So then we move on to the police station where Andy's at his desk and he places a big file on his desk that says 
confidential and it's Prue and it's got, you know, Halliwell Prue on it. And then we see that there are news articles and papers about black magic and witchcraft and different things that Prue has been involved in. And he slides them back into the binder along with the fingerprints and tickets from the coroners. And then he closes it and puts it away in his drawer and he leans back in his chair and kind of like sighs like he can't figure out what's going on. And then this creepy music plays. And that's the final scene. Yeah. So I really like the way they drop that line from Prue, like I wouldn't underestimate him. And then we see that like Andy's kind of worked it all out. And now it's just a question of like, when is he going to approach her? It seems like he's... he's got it down you know he knows he knows what's going on but he just hasn't said anything yet and the thing that I was going to say before is you know I feel like this is a very monster of the week episode and just a little stupid fun episode to throw in but the majority of it was kind of to show that and Andy like him finally you know that final straw where he's figuring everything out yeah and I'm also wondering what are first time viewers thinking at this point like do they think that Andy is gonna become an antagonist right because we kind of have played the field with him between being like you know at first he was Prue's love interest then of course you know he abused his power and we were mad at him by this episode we've forgiven him but then we see this final scene and we see that you know He's thinking black magic and witchcraft. So, like, does he think that they're evil? Does he think that he needs to stop them from what they're doing? Or does he know deep down that they're a force of good? Is he going to somehow get in their way? Like, I'm just wondering what anyone who hasn't seen the show before is thinking Andy is going to do next. And I'm just like, I can't wait to see how this information is going to come out to the sisters that Andy knows that they're witches. I can't wait to see, you know, what happens next, honestly. Yeah, I definitely, I feel the same way with that. And I wonder if it's maybe Andy does feel like it could be this, well, obviously we know that he thinks it could be this black magic thing and maybe that they could be evil. But at the same time, maybe this is why he hasn't, like, acknowledged it yet is because he also knows Prue and the sisters very well and sees that, like sees that they're good people so he's probably having a hard time understanding what's even going on in his own head and he doesn't still doesn't even know for sure what to think you know yeah especially since in the last few episodes like we've seen how protective he is of their involvement and kind of like how he always is like no Prue's a good person um at the end of the day except in that one episode like that's always been kind of his thing even when Daryl's like well how do you know that Prue's not involved? And he's like, no, Prue would never do this. So I'm really interested in seeing like where his head's at, how he's going to confront them, if he's going to confront them, like what's going to happen. Me too. I can't wait for, I feel like we're getting closer and closer. Like I'm on the edge of my seat for it. Yeah, me too. You know what's coming. <laughs> Honestly, I enjoyed this episode a lot more than I remember um, enjoying it. I think it's a really good one. Two really good episodes in a row, actually. Yeah, we've actually, we've had a, a run of good, ep- like, a couple of my 
favorite episodes of the season. Oh, that's true, right? Because we had, you know, Here to Eternity, which is a good one. We had Secrets and Guys, which was a good one. And then we had, of course, you know, um, Is There a Woogie in the House? And this one. So Yeah. Good ones in a row. I like it. I, I hope we stay on this track. I hope next week's episode is a good one, too. I know. I feel like the past couple episodes, I've been like, oh, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hope that continues, because I like... I like when I rewatch the episodes and, and notice more and analyze it a little bit more. And uh, I feel like I get more out of it than I ever have. And I am able to appreciate them more. Yeah. And I especially love the episodes I'm able to analyze in a positive way. Cause you know, not every, obviously there are going to be moments I'm going to critique in every single episode because no series is perfect, but there are some episodes where we get to the end of it and I'm like, damn, we really shit on this episode. But then there are other episodes like this one where I'm like, this is a strong episode and I loved our discussion. Yeah, me too. Feel the same way. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to us or follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and TikTok at rewitched underscore pod. You can also send us an email to rewitched.pod at gmail.com and join us back next time for season one episode 17 that 70s episode